Lord Jesus, we have come to meet with you. Would you come and just shine your face on us? Would you make your presence known to us? Would you speak to our hearts this morning? Come as only you can, Lord, and may we walk out of this place a different people than walked in. Come and do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I was to ask you the question, what holiday comes next, how would you answer? That took a long time. We are obviously a very confused culture at what holiday comes next. Thanksgiving being the correct answer that some of you made it to. But you wouldn't know that if you've been outside in the last couple weeks or if you've turned on your TV, what is the next holiday we should be preparing for? Christmas, right? Now, this bugs me. My kids know it. When Christmas commercials come on, I'm always like, what, really? And here's the thing. It's not because I'm sentimental. It's not because I'm like, oh, but the Thanksgiving holiday, I just like order. And to skip things just bugs me, okay? But we shouldn't be surprised that as a culture, we skip over Thanksgiving. We, We come out of Halloween, which for many is fun, and there's costumes, and we get candy, My house has more candy in it than I would prefer it to have right now. It's harder to say no when the candy's already in the house, right? And so we really look forward to Halloween. And then, oh, Christmas. What happens at Christmas time? The kids were the first one on that one. Presents. Okay. More candy. Thanksgiving has markedly less candy and presents than either Halloween or Christmas. And so it's easy to see why as a culture we kind of just skip past it. There's not a whole lot of money to be made. There's not as many like fun traditions and those kinds of things. And so it's, I actually thought about bringing this up. There's one Thanksgiving song. Does anyone know what it is? Who, what now? Uh, Okay. There's one that everybody knows though. Maybe maybe not everybody. Adam Sandler has a song about Turkey Day. That was a broad everyone, not necessarily everyone in this room, okay? There's not even, yeah, we don't have good songs, we don't have, and so it's easy to kind of skip past. And we shouldn't be surprised that obviously this is what the culture does because, again, there's money to be made at Christmas. Let's let's move on to that as quickly as possible. But listen, we as, as believers in Jesus should be the biggest Thanksgiving advocates that there are. Not because, you know, pilgrims are a fun story and all of that, but because we actually have someone to give thanks to, right? It's not surprising that the culture goes, yeah, let's skip that one, because honestly, if you think about it, it's kind of awkward for them anyway. Give thanks to who? When you say, what is Thanksgiving about, most people are going to say what? Maybe pilgrims. Turkey, food, and family. You're just shouting things out at this point. You're not even... Most people are going to say Thanksgiving is about food and family. If there's no God, who do I give thanks to for those things? Do I give thanks to the food and to the family? That's weird. They're not really gifts that are given. There's there's no one to thank. And so it's, again, not surprising. But we, as followers of Jesus, should be huge advocates because we actually believe there is someone to give thanks to. There is someone who has given us these things 
And to stop and give him thanks just makes sense, right? And so to, to have a whole day, or here in West Virginia, a whole week set aside for it, where we came from, you went to school all the way through Wednesday, and then you just had Thursday, Friday off. Here, because of hunting, it's a whole week. What? As it should be. I'm, I'm a fan of it at this point. If that sounded like complaining, please, no. And here's the thing. As, as Americans, I think we would all agree on this, we live in the most abundant nation, right? In the most abundant time in human history. It would have been unheard of or even unthinkable, let's say 100 years ago, to go, I want food from this place on the other side of the world and I can have it to my house in minutes. I, 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 want, I love to cook and I love to make food from all over the place and to think I can go to Walmart in Elkins, West Virginia and find almost every ingredient I need to make Indian food or... <laughs> it is, is the thing. No, 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 no. Hold on. You're missing the small town West Virginia part. The fact that we have access to this, or worst case scenario, complainer, I get on Amazon and it's here in two days. Literally anything I want within days delivered to my doorstep. We live in the most abundant nation, in the most abundant time in human history. Here's a little tangent. As I was preparing this, I had to keep reminding myself, don't say blessed. And let me explain why. I didn't want to say we live in the most blessed nation, in the most blessed time in history, because that can be dangerous. See, in the Old Testament, blessing is used very differently than in the New Testament. Let me illustrate this. Who were the most blessed people in the Old Testament? The Israelites. Who among the Israelites were the most blessed people? Somebody said the Jews. That would be the Israelites. Same people. Jewish people, Israelites, same people. Who was the most blessed among them? Levites, maybe. Somebody's got, somebody hasn't been reading much of their Old Testament. Moses, maybe. The ones who are referred to as blessed, the kings. The, the, the leaders of Israel, how were they, how do we know who they were? Because they had the richest clothing. They lived in the biggest houses. King David lived in a house so big and ornate, he started to feel guilty because he's like, man, God's over there living in a tent. We got to build him a house too. Because it's a sign of blessing. Abundance in the Old Testament was a sign of blessing. It was something promised to the people by God. Because God was building a nation and he said, he said, the way that I will show my favor to the rest of the world when they look at this nation is through their prosperity. And so he brought them into a land flowing of milk and honey, a land that was so rich and abundant that the rest of the world took notice. There was a reason why Israel was constantly getting invaded by people, and it's because it was an incredibly abundant land. It was a sign to the people of God's blessing on them. In the New Testament... Who were the most blessed? Just give me some examples. The disciples, the, the poor in spirit. Jesus kind of gives like a, a blanket thing. Let's name some specific people. We're thinking too hard about this. Mary, Jesus, Joseph, Paul. 
Come on, guys. Paul, Peter, John. I'm ignoring you, Brandon. What riches did they have? What abundance did they have? They had the abundance, listen, of the nearness of Jesus. Blessedness in the New Testament is about the nearness of God. Peter lived his entire life in exile and in hiding. Still to this day, scholars don't know where Peter was for most of his adult life because he was in hiding. Paul, if Paul had a home, he was never there. He, was, like, he didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus, when people came to follow him, what did he tell them? Look, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. We don't look at the most blessed people in the New Testament and say they were the wealthiest, the most abundant like we tend to think of it now, they were the ones who had the nearness of God that we still read about and envy and desire for ourselves, but they were not a worldly rich people. You start to see the difference in this. There's some danger when we start to use blessed nowadays with an Old Testament meaning of richest and most abundant, you start to get a prosperity gospel. But let's stop and just look at our nation for a minute. Who are the richest people there? Okay, just get a, a picture in your head. Would we say that they are the most blessed by God? They are the closest to God? They are the ones following in his footsteps the most? Not at all. They would be the most abundant, the ones who have the most resources. But I wanted to make sure that this was clear in our head. I'm not saying abundance equals blessing. Because otherwise, a lack of abundance for anyone in here who doesn't have as much as the person sitting next to them, that would then equate you to you're less blessed than them. May it never be. In the New Testament, blessing has to do with nearness of God. So, as I go through this message, I'm very intentionally not using the word blessed, but I'm using the word abundance. Does that make sense? Do you guys understand where I'm going with that? Okay. So we live in the most abundant nation, in the most abundant time in human history. And listen, for all people, let's just think about this. What should the natural response to abundance be? Don't overthink it. Thanksgiving. Somebody even said generosity, like giving back. It should be thanksgiving and contentment. Look at all that we have. And listen, we all own a TV. We've seen what it's like in some other places in the world. Look at all they don't have. Shouldn't our natural response be thanksgiving and contentment? But listen, here's, here's the truth. The natural relationship between abundance and thanksgiving, it's counterintuitive. What I mean by that is that somebody might be able to help me. There's a math term out there. It has the word inverse in it. When, when, if there's two variables in an equation, when one goes up, the other by nature goes down. Inversely proportional, thank you. This is, in our natural state, this is the relationship of abundance and thanksgiving. As abundance goes up, our thanksgiving naturally goes down. What I mean by that, let's, like, let's illustrate it a little bit. The more we receive, the more we tend to desire. We'll get there. We become less thankful for what we have, the more we have. Because we start thinking about what? What we don't have yet. Or what they have that I don't have. Naturally speaking, the more we receive, the more we desire. The more we receive, the more we think we need. We don't get more thankful because, wow, look at how full my house is. 
look at everything that I have, how abundant my life is. What we think is, well, I need a bigger house because I need more stuff. It's, it's the natural state of us. The more we receive, the more we think we deserve. One of the words most commonly associated with the abundance of our culture is entitled. And listen, it's easy if you're of an older generation, it's easier to point down the line and go, oh, they're entitled. Guess what your parents and grandparents said about you? The more we receive, the more we have, the more we tend to think we deserve. We're all fans of fairness in here, right? We all want fairness. What would fairness mean for the American people? If you looked at just global fairness, we're gonna make everybody equal footing. What would it mean? It would not mean everybody comes up to where we are. It would mean we take many steps backwards to where they are. We are so crazy abundant compared to most of the world. We, we love the idea of fairness as long as I don't have to give anything up because I deserve it. I've earned it. I worked for it. I want it. You would think that the more we have, the more thankful we would be, but the natural sinful nature in us it goes the other way. The more I have, the less thankful I tend to be. Because here's the thing that we have to understand. Abundance is about appetite. You guys know what an appetite is, right? What was it? To eat food. An appetite is I see that, I want that. And abundance is about appetite. Think about this. How many of you have ever, uh, in the middle of a summer day, walked out onto your back deck with your horrible sunburn, looked at all the weeds that were going everywhere and all the mosquitoes that were alive and went, what an abundant life. I am abundant in sunburn and in weeds and in mosquitoes. No, no, no. What we say is, I got too much sun, there's too many weeds, and one mosquito is too many mosquitoes. We don't think in terms of those things as, oh, look at the abundance, because we don't have an appetite for them. We don't want those things. But the things that we do want, we have an appetite for. Abundance is about an appetite. And here's the thing, appetites, when left unchecked, are never satisfied. Any of you ever eaten so much on one day you weren't hungry the next? No. Appetites, when left unchecked, are never satisfied. This is not a new thing. This is not even an American thing. Back to the first century, the church in Philippi, here's what Paul says, warning his people. He says, for I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I used to be kind of confused by this thing of their God is their stomach. It was always like, weird thing, Paul. Like, what do you, okay, so they like to eat? Like, what are you talking about? But he was telling us they were led by their appetites. And in this land of abundance, the more abundance we have, the more dangerous those appetites can be. I don't know if Paul understood this, but many of us in here do, and if not, I'll explain it to you. Here's how a stomach works. Think of a balloon. When you first take a balloon out of the package, it's pretty small, right? Any of you ever try to just blow up a balloon straight out of the bag? It's rough, right? First thing we gotta do is stretch it out a little bit, make it more pliable. So you blow that balloon up and you let the air out of it. Does the balloon go back to the same shape and size it was in the package? It stays a little more stretched out, right? Our stomachs are the same thing. The more we overindulge and stretch them, 
Eventually, we, as we digest the food, they shrink back, but they don't shrink back to the exact same size. They're a little bit bigger. And then as we overindulge again, the same thing happens, and now they're even a little bit bigger. And what that means is it takes more and more to satisfy me than it did at the beginning. The more we overindulge an appetite, the more it takes to, and I'm using quotes here, satisfy that appetite for that moment. But what we're left with is now a need for even more. And Paul was saying, this is what it is. Many are enemies of the cross of Christ, not because they're just wicked, hateful people, but because they are led about by their appetites. The need for more, the, the desire for more, the, the I need more. We have this thought that if I just get more of this thing, I'll finally be satisfied. And I think we could all raise our hands and say, it hasn't worked yet. I still want more the next day, the next week, maybe the next hour. I want it again. My appetites are never satisfied. Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy, over in 1 Timothy 6, he warns, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Is Paul telling Timothy being rich, having abundance is an evil thing? Many misquote this verse and they say money is the root of all evil. Money, like money is a bad thing. That's not what he says. The love of money, the craving after money is a root of all kinds of evil and has led many even away from the faith. Pierced themselves with many pains. That word love of and craving means avarice. This like kind of unending appetite. Those who are led by their appetite, in this case for money, find themselves in painful situations, maybe even completely destructive situations. Our natural state is to be led by our appetites for worldly things. But God is calling us to something different. Did you know, and hopefully you did, you can have an appetite for healthy things? You know there's some people that have an appetite for carrots? It's weird, but it's a thing. Not even like chocolate-covered carrots, just normal carrots. It was dirty in the ground a day before, and now they're eating it. It's crazy. We can have an appetite for good and wholesome things as well. Matthew chapter 5, back in the Beatitudes, we looked at a couple months ago. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That word hunger and thirst is the same word that Paul used when talking to Timothy. Craving after money, love it. Like those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God says they'll be satisfied, but again, the same thing is true. Do you think at any point in time, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, God's desire is that they stop hungering and thirsting? All right, God, we got enough. We can push away from the table now. The same is true. For those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, God satisfies them. He meets them. He shows them his righteousness, and then they begin to hunger for it even more. Have you ever had an experience with God? Maybe you were at camp as a teenager. Maybe it was during a church service. Maybe you were alone in your car. I don't know. But you have that experience with God where you're like, whoa, he was there. Has anyone ever had that? Did you want more of it afterwards? You, yeah, you better believe it. 
we can have good, wholesome appetites as well. In fact, we do have good, wholesome appetites as well. We just have to choose which appetites we're going to satisfy, which ones we're going to feed. The ones that lead to destruction are the ones that lead to life. Listen, when you first start trying to eat more fruits and vegetables, anyone ever done that? Just gone, I'm going to, this is the year, more fruits and vegetables. Am I literally the only one? Wow. Me and a couple children. Okay. Cool. All right, kids, listen up. When you first make that decision, it's tough sledding, right? I love salty. Like, dessert is good, but man, just give me more dinner. Like, I love salty. And so if I'm going to eat more fruits and vegetables, that means I have to eat less salty things that I kind of crave, right? And at first, that is a, it's a tough switch to make. But hopefully we know this. As I begin to discipline myself in that area, I begin to really kind of like the fruits and vegetables. I begin to start looking forward to them more and more. And you know what? There's just less room for some of that other stuff. It's hard. It's a hard switch in the beginning, but we know that I can kind of build some momentum in this area. As I feed the healthy, wholesome appetites, they begin to grow. And by nature, the unhealthy ones begin to diminish. We see this with food, and the same is true spiritually. The more I feed my appetites for the things of this world, the more it grows, and the more dissatisfied, discontent, anxious I become. The more I discipline myself in those areas and feed my appetites for the life-giving things, the things of Christ with, with friends and family, these wholesome things, the more my appetites for those things begin to grow. This isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to step away for a second. Many of us experienced this in an unhealthy way during COVID. We were told, you can't be around people, and so we pulled in and we're alone. And at first, it was really difficult for some of us. Some of you were like, sweet, I've prayed for this. Some of us, it was really difficult, but then something happened. There was one day where we got used to it, where all of a sudden, I, I'm an extrovert. I love people, and all of a sudden, I started looking forward to times even away from my family where I could just be like truly alone. And it's not that that's always an unhealthy thing, but that appetite started to grow where then it's like, okay, COVID's over. Let's get back together. People were like, ah, I don't know if I really want to. I've really learned to enjoy this not having to leave my house type of thing, which, listen, isn't an evil in and of itself. But for many, then, it's been a struggle to come back out and to connect with others because that appetite shrunk. And the appetite for just the ease of aloneness grew. And we have to be careful with those things. We have to be careful which of these appetites we're feeding. As Americans, we live in the most abundant place in the most abundant time. The natural relationship between abundance and thankfulness is counterintuitive. And it's about appetites. Appetites, when left unchecked, are never satisfied. The good news is God didn't just leave us with that and go like, hey, quit it. But he actually kind of gave us a way forward. The passage we looked at in 1 Timothy 6 that, that warns about the love of money and the, and the craving, uh, those who want to be rich, it starts with this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Then comes the warning we looked at, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation. Paul is saying godliness with contentment. A content spirit with what I have, 
with what I have been given is great gain. I mean, listen to it. If, if I have food and clothing, I'll be content with that. And we go, whoa, Paul, that's crazy. Like, just food and clothing? What? He says over to the church in Philippians, this is a few verses after the passage we looked at in Philippians 3 earlier. He says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and how to have a lot. And in, many, in, in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Abundance is not a bad thing. Paul doesn't say, I've learned the secret, and it's don't ever have enough. Don't ever live in abundance. He goes, look, I, I've been on both sides. But my contentment was not situational. I wasn't content as long as I had X amount or discontent the other way. Like, I've learned to be content regardless of my circumstance. So let me ask this. Let's talk a little bit. How can we begin to walk in contentment? Because our culture just, I mean, it blasts the other direction. Be discontent with what you have. You need newer, shinier. Last year's model is so old, you need this year's model. How do we, as followers of Jesus, begin to walk in contentment? We do have some control over how much of the world's messaging we take in. And sometimes turning that off can be a really healthy first step. Not just constantly swimming in these you don't have enough waters. There are, there are certain situations where I have the ability to turn off the TV, change the channel, turn off the radio, whatever it may be. Ooh, stop scrolling. How else? How can we begin to walk in contentment? Die to self, okay? What's that? Okay. Okay, so there, there's even an intentionality to just keep bringing it to the forefront of your mind. I, I have enough. I can be content. I don't need new, better, bigger, even just to remind yourself of that on a regular basis, okay? There was another. Somebody looked at his calendar and saw what holiday's coming next. If we can learn to give thanks, this is an incredible step toward contentment. Okay, to let go and trust him. To let go and trust him to do what? Okay, to provide for you. Paul said at the end of that passage there, I've learned the secret to contentment. And then he says, I'm able to do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul's secret to contentment wasn't, I've just learned how to budget better. His contentment was, I trust in my God to give me everything that I need. How many of you remember Steve Tony? <laughs> Some of you don't know who Steve is. Steve was an elder at this church for like 20 years. A year and a half ago, his wife he and his wife betrayed us and left and moved to Ohio. That is the only way I will ever refer to what the Tonys did. Um, blessings on them. Oh, blessings on them, but they're traitors. So there's a saying that many of you have heard from Steve, and, and I heard many times, and it goes something like this. If I don't have it, it's because God didn't give it to me. And if God didn't give it to me, what would he say next? I don't need it. I don't need it. So Steve practiced 
what Paul was talking about. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, which means if he doesn't give it to me, I must not have needed it. That is a very, I won't even say anti-American, just anti-worldly statement. God will give me everything I need, so if I don't have it, he must think I don't need it, and I can trust him. Anything else? How can we begin to walk in contentment? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Remembering who gave me the abundance in the first place and why he gave it to me. In the Alliance, one of our core values is that everything we have belongs to God. We are just stewards of it. None of it's mine. He gave it to me to use in the way that he led me to use it. And so even the things I have, even to call them mine, is already a bit of a misstep. They're all the kings. He's just letting me borrow it for a little bit. One that I'll throw out there, I think we need to be very careful with the word need. I I hear this all the time, like, oh, I need new shoes. I need a new car. I need, I need, I need. And listen, do some people need shoes? Yeah. Do some people need a car? Yeah. Do we use that word too often when what we really mean is want? Yeah. Words have power, and they start to sink in. And we truly do begin to believe that I need this. I will be incomplete without this. If you even just change your wording, and listen, at first it's hard because you'll find yourself doing this with your spouse. Hey, I really need, no, I want this. You'll catch yourself doing it all the time at first, but it helps it to sink in. Listen, need is up here, want is down here. And even just in changing the wording, it helps you to prioritize those things. Oh, that's right. This isn't a need. I will be fine without this thing. I would like to have it. It would be nice. I want it, but I don't need it. Even in just being careful how we use that word can start to much like Cheryl said, begin to just change the way that we think about it. It kind of puts it back in the forefront. Or listen, maybe even give your spouse permission. This is a tough one. When you say, I need something, are they allowed to ask, do you need it or do you want it? Some of us don't like that thought even a little bit, and that's okay. I'll let you simmer in it for a little bit. We need to be careful with how we use the word need. And listen, I think this is the biggest one, and Tim got it. We need to practice thanksgiving. The two most often repeated commands in Scripture, anybody know what they are? Do not be afraid, fear not, something of that line. That's number one. And second, give thanks. The two most repeated commands in Scripture, fear not and give thanks. And listen, they're not the two most repeated phrases in Scripture, though they are, but they are actively commands to the people of God. Not, hey, give thanks if you get some time and feel like it. It's God continually commanding his people, give thanks. Thanks. And he doesn't do it because he's going, hey guys, the thank box is empty, kind of hurting my feelings. He does it for our good. He knows that if we stop giving thanks, we will begin to see these things as ours. We will feed those appetites and I need more and I have to. 
But there's something in the practice of giving thanks that, that can break the power of some of these appetites that we have. Welcome to Next Level Christianity. For those of us just starting out, thank God for what he gave you. For those of you who want to take it to the next level, thank God for what he gave people you're jealous for. Because it's not theirs either. They're just stewards too. It's okay, but... Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because listen, even, even the world is trying to catch on to this, and you'll hear a lot of like just having a, a posture of gratitude, and like you'll, you'll hear these things, and it's kind of like sending out some good vibes. But when you really start to break it down, I'm going, yeah, 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 posture of gratitude. <laughs> to who or to what? And it's always like, you know, just the universe, or just don't worry about that, just, just be thankful. But we, again, actually have someone very specific to thank. We have not just been, we didn't just stumble into it, and oh, the universe is kind to me. We have a Father who has given us these things, and many times, especially in our context, in abundance, we have someone very specific that we can thank. But listen, Thanksgiving is not natural. It must be taught and practiced. Think about a young kid. What do you have to teach children? What are we constantly telling them? Say, and we say two words, say blank. Say please and thank you. Because kids by nature go, mine. You have that, I want it, mine. Okay, give it back. No, it's mine. This is, this is the natural nature. And listen, We've all grown up and we've learned to say please and thank you. You ever said please and thank you, but you didn't really think a thing about it? <laughs> Waiters and waitresses, I do this all the time. I seem like a polite guy, but it's just programmed response. Oh, thank you. Oh, oh yeah, if I could have this, please. I'm not actually thinking. I am so grateful for what they've given. This isn't just about words, but it's about a posture of our heart. These are not natural things. They have to be learned. Again, that's why God commanded it again and again and again is because it has to be taught and to be practiced. Thanksgiving is like a muscle. What happens when you don't use a specific muscle? Someone gets injured and can't use their leg. What happens to that leg? It atrophies. It begins to shrink. It begins to, come, to become weaker. And so they have to go to physical therapy where someone that they will hate for a couple months tells them, we're going to work this leg now. And and it begins to get stronger. Thanksgiving is like a muscle. Many of us have let it atrophy. Maybe we paid some lip service. We say please and thank you because our moms taught us to be polite. But to truly have a posture of thanksgiving, 
for many, this is going to be a tough switch because we're so in that me, mine, why don't I have, when do I get mentality and that muscle is atrophied that it's going to be hard to begin to practice thanksgiving. Some of you are so well-toned, you need to move on and start thanking God for what he's given other people. I am in the first category. I am not a naturally thankful person. Naturally, I'm going, yeah, but where's mine? And I have to learn to practice thanksgiving. And listen, here's the good news. You can start with literally anything. Thank God for a sunrise. It's still, with time switch, you can still be awake and see the sunrise. You don't have to get up at like five in the morning. Thank God for a beautiful drive, for a good meal, a good day with your family. I didn't just say necessarily any day with your family. That's step two. But at first, man, today was at least a good one. Thank you. A relaxing evening, a good day's work. If you can call it good, then you can thank God for it. James 1.16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. If it's something that you can call good, then you can confidently give thanks to God for it. The opposite of thanksgiving is taking for granted. This is kind of the posture we've, we've learned to live in. Yeah, it was a beautiful sunrise, but I've, I saw a better one a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it was a nice drive, but there was that one guy, you know, for that stretch that I just, oh, why didn't he go faster? Why didn't he? We tend to take these things for granted, and we have to instead learn to turn it around and to give thanks. We've not been disciplined in our thanksgiving, which is why we live in a culture of discontent and anxiety. We looked at Philippians 4, 6 a couple weeks ago. Remember, in the middle, it just says, be anxious for nothing. And we went, oh, good, thanks, Paul, super useful. It was a command, don't be anxious, but not super helpful. But when you look at the context, Paul begins to lay some groundworks. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Remember the true definition of blessing, the nearness of the Lord? Paul says rejoice because you're blessed. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look, when the anxiety starts to come up, the root of anxiety is there's not going to be enough. There's not going to be enough love and acceptance, money, food, whatever it is, and so we start to get anxious, and he says, in those times... Rejoice, because remember, you're blessed. The Lord is near to you. I, th I thank you for sharing that earlier, that the presence or the, the peace of the Lord is available to his people at any point in time. Why? Because the Lord is near. We can rejoice in that. And then draw close by prayer and petition. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you with thanksgiving. There is power in thanksgiving to break the handhold of discontent and anxiety. And when we will choose to rejoice and to give thanks and to draw near the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which doesn't make any earthly sense in that situation, begins to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So what I want to do, I said that giving thanks, it's the second most commanded thing in all of scripture. And so what I need, I need five volunteers 
who are willing to read a passage of scripture. I'll assign it to you. We'll have a microphone come around. I used to do this with the youth group and they hated it, but I loved it. So I need five volunteers who are willing to read something. Maverick, you want to run a microphone for me? He looks very confused. I'm... So I need a volunteer. Um, I'm going to assign them first, and then I'll have you read. So, Kenna, I'm going to have you do 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. You can read it in whatever translation you want. I'll have one up here just in case it helps somebody to read along. Um, okay, Annalise, Psalm 103, 1 to 4. Miss Cheryl, Colossians 2, 6 to 7. What do we got? Miss Kitty, Hebrews 12, 28. And I need one more. Okay, uh, Psalm 118, 24. Okay, so we're going to read these. Again, they're just, they're reminders. They're commands from the Lord not to get caught up, but to stop and to give thanks. We're just going to read and kind of touch on them really quickly as we go through. All right, so Kenna was our first one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's good. In what circumstances? All circumstances. Listen, this is huge. You ever wonder what God's will is for your life? No one? Yes. Paul just told us. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus is to be the kind of people who are able to rejoice always, to draw near to him and pray continually, and to give thanks in any circumstance. To, to boil it down, this is God's will for us. That should be pretty powerful, right? Okay, go ahead. Notice, now this is, the writer of this psalm, this isn't just God commanding his people. This is the writer of this psalm commanding himself. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his name. This guy is preaching to himself. Listen, because he knows that naturally he will forget all the benefits. And so he is commanding himself. Praise the Lord. Give thanks. We have to, like, like Cheryl said, remind ourselves, we have to preach this to ourselves. Miss Cheryl, you have Colossians 2. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude overflowing. At first, it's going to feel like I'm trying, like I'm working to be thankful, like I'm trying to get any bit of thankfulness I can, but eventually God's desire for us is that it becomes something that just overflows out of who we are. Who had Hebrews 12? Was that Miss Kitty? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We're going to practice this one later. We're, we're going to sing a song after this that I'm going to ask you to sing with reverence and awe, which means not small and timid, but to actually, I'm going to choose to praise my God, to give thanks to my God. Why? Because I have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. How dare I hold that in? How dare I be meek and mild with that? He deserves praise, right? Okay, our final verse. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Which day? You think he's talking about Mondays? Every day. We are the kind of people, because he is the kind of God, who are called to wake up every day and goes, today I can rejoice because he made the day. There's no day that just was too bad and there was just nothing I could give thanks for. He made every day and he's called us to rejoice and give thanks every day. So what I want to do, I'm going to challenge us over the next 30 days. It's not... It's, it's an easy challenge to accomplish, but I think we'll find it more difficult. Every day, just to give thanks for one thing. Wake up in the morning and intentionally give thanks for one thing. And we go, that's dumb. That's so easy. If you're like me, it'll be easy for about a week. And once I run out of some stuff, my family, my job, oh, no, I already said that one. What other, like... 30 days, 30 different things to give thanks for. So listen, maybe start with some hard ones first and save yourself, your spouse, for, an, for a day when you're just not there. You know what I mean? But 30 separate things that you are thankful for. Again, it sounds silly, but if we're going to break the grip of discontent, of anxiety, of taking for granted, we have to practice giving thanks. Are you guys willing to do that? Even as I was writing it down in my office, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, it's, it's tough. But for 30 days, I want to be the kind of man who wakes up every day and says, thank you, Father, for this specific good gift that you have given me. Today, I'm going to find something to rejoice in because it's the day that you made and you deserve it. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. We're going to close. Well, we're going to close with something else. We're going to sing a song. and The song's called Gratitude. Have you guys heard it on the radio? Put the uh, bridge up there for me. The song starts off kind of soft. If you haven't heard it, you can kind of learn and go. I'm asking Chris to jump around, which is not always simple. No, that's the chorus. Throw up the bridge for me. So here's something that we're going to sing, and I'm going to say... On our behalf, here's something we're going to sing loud. For some of you, you're like, oh no, but other people can hear me. I don't care. <laughs> this is that preaching it to yourself. Come on, my soul. Don't get shy on me. Lift up your song because you've got a lion inside of your lungs. So get up and praise the Lord. This is what it takes if we're going to grow to be those kind of thankful people, overflowing with thanksgiving. I will choose it, even when it's hard, even when I want to be shy. I'm going to preach it to myself, and I'm going to choose to be bold. Does that make sense? So I will be judging how loud you are. But here's my thing. I'm going to be even louder, so we'll see how it goes. Go ahead and stand. <laughs>